Hey, this is Dave Pryor from projectmanagement.com. This week, I'm at the 2018 Global Scrum Gathering in Minneapolis, where it's been snowing like crazy, but it finally let up. We're on the last day, and I'm here with David Hawks from Agile Velocity. David, thank you for being here. No problem. So you had two talks this time. I did. Um, and I was going to just focus on the first one, but the second one sounds really cool, too, so we'll probably hit both of those. So the post-project era, subtitled... Projects are evil. Projects are evil, <laughs> which I think everybody listening to this would agree with whether they're waterfall or agile. But what was the general gist of the talk? Yeah, so what we really talked about was um, having a project mentality tends to uh, hurt things that we actually value. So one of the things we started with is a, a sorting of different characteristics or different things that people strive for. So things like, uh, do we value hitting a date more or less than maximizing value, right? Okay. And, and I have the teams sort based on how they feel, not how their company's behaviors mimic, okay. right? So, so if I, you know, I would rate maximizing value much more important than hitting a date. Now, our behaviors of our company probably right. appears to value hitting a date more than PMO maximizing value, right? Wants yeah, the date. Right, and, and why do they want the date? Because executives are asking for a date. But if you would go ask that executive, would they rather maximize value or hit a date? They'd probably say maximize value, but, but people don't perceive that, right? So do you think that um, the people on the executive side of the house, and maybe the PMO too, they're asking for dates the same way they would ask for utilization, mm -hmm. things that, those are the only questions they know to ask right. to try to judge health. It's just that we're saying you should be looking at different stuff. Right, right, okay. yeah. The common, common like agile, but with a waterfall kind of cover, yeah. you know, we see this a lot, right? And you've seen it too, where it's, it's hey, you, you guys can do agile, but what's the date and what's gonna be in it? Yeah, right. and how many people and exactly how much yeah. will it cost? Yeah, and I, and I feel like, you know, a project is just nothing but a waterfall container. It has a fixed date and it has yeah. a fixed scope and we manage to it. Okay. Right. But we're trying to do agile within this kind of waterfall container. And okay. I think that that's a lot of the premise of the talk is like we have this pull where we things that we're trying to value and values around agile and scrum that we're bringing to the table. But then we still are doing things in a more waterfall management way. Right. And our executives are still, like you said, asking those old questions. And so um, there's creating this this really Dissonance. serious tension, yeah. right? You know, between between those uh, two groups. So we kind of the talk was exploring that, and then talking about what are some practices that we can do, um, you know, beyond that, and what what um, you know what what really are the elements that are kind of creating this what I call plan driven mentality. Okay, so we it sort of seems to me like having that conversation here at the Scrum Gathering or at the Agile Conference, you're preaching to the choir. They have to go back and figure out a way to kind of mansplain this or person-splain this to yeah. the executive management. Yeah. How do you message that conversation? Because if you go to an executive with a giant office, they're just gonna be like, the waterfall's awesome, yeah. go to your agile thing over there. Yeah. How do you get them to see, beyond just paying lip service, to of course I want value? Right, yeah, so so one of the things that I actually do in a leadership session with with the executives, actually the, the talk, that I did right. was that that mod module is in my leadership class, okay. right? And and so creating awareness, right? So I think with executives, you can't go into executives and try and 
tell them they're wrong and tell them what is right or tell them they need to change their behaviors. What you need to do is help them see the problem for themselves with a different lens. Okay. So how do you create awareness? And so um, that exercise that we do, and, and, and so uh, to kind of read off a couple more of the, of the things, so like maximizing value, adjusting higher priorities, early market validation, team engagement, those are all value-driven elements. Okay. Um, we have them sort those against, you know, the hitting the date, having a clear plan, okay. uh, developer utilization, managing to the budget, working on many things at once. And those are very plan driven. And so when we get the, the executives to see like, what are the things that we're actually value, really want to value? And, if right. we, and, and, and typically they will agree that, you know, team engagement and early market validation and, and adjusting to higher priorities and maximizing value are important. Then, um, and we say these other things aren't as important. And then we talk about, well, push versus pull and, and being deadline driven and being, you know, managing to the plan. Right. How do those impact? And when they start thinking about that and they get their own realization, then we can, once they have the awareness, then they're ready for us to say, okay, here's some things that we could potentially try to do differently okay. that, that we haven't um, been doing it before. Right? So the thing that makes it stick is helping them see the impact of the behavior. Because yeah. I can, yeah. it would almost be like if you came to a thing and said, well, we should not eat sugar. We right. should all get eight hours yeah. of sleep. We should never multitask. And we're like, yes. And then they go get a candy bar, stay yeah. up all night and work on it. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, yeah, how do we create that awareness? How do we, um, and, and see the, see the difference in how those behaviors I even have in the, in the session, them take those behaviors and kind of create like a new manifesto, right? So okay, we, for we, themselves. we, yeah, for so like, we value maximizing value over having a clear plan, you know, okay. or we value team engagement over working on many things at once. All right. Right. And so as they start seeing that, one of these things is really we value that over, you know, the the behavior we've always had. Yeah. Um, and that starts creating some reality of, okay, we want this more than we want that. And okay. if we all agreed as a leadership team around that, um, that's typically what we do with leaders is is have them come up with these kind of value statements in in a manifesto kind of way. Okay. You know, in a in a similar vein, a, a client recently came up with like we value teaming over heroism. Right, because that was the behavior change that but, they were trying to make. All right, make. so as an example, you get senior leadership to agree to that. How do you get that to boil? I mean, when you're in there coaching, yeah, to make that exist in the organization beyond right. a lip service thing. That's right. yeah. How does how does yeah? So how does culture mimics behavior? Behaviors yeah. of the leadership are mimicked by other people in the organization, right? right. So how do we how do we create that? So. One dynamic that um, we always make sure to to get in place is what we call the agile leadership team, right? Okay. So how do we create a cross-functional leadership team of and 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 more senior leaders than just you know frontline managers, right? right? We want to mix, but um, and we don't want it to be all executives either. We want people that are actually going to do work. Sure. <laughs> um, so you know, forming that team that can start mimicking some of the behaviors okay. and start having the conversations and has the respect throughout the organization to do that um, are, is where some of that is going to happen. Okay. I think there's also, a, an, a, a, you know, having some kind of program, we're starting to do this more, which is a, a like a leadership development type of program. So okay. working with even kind of partnering with the HR group to talk about how are we actually teaching leaders? Are we teaching them to be more like, you know, agile leaders? Or are we teaching to be, you know, managers who are asking the utilization sure. question and those kind of things? How it's do we almost start? like an internal Cal thing. 
yeah. basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and then and then you find more success with like cohorts of those leaders working together. You know, with teams, we tend to coach and yeah. implement practices. That type of structure doesn't you know, change work anything with leaders. Top, right. Leaders, right? We can't go into leader. There's nothing. Leaders aren't. Uh, swarming and working on work together, right? right? So it's it's a different type of dynamic. Well, unless to, maybe it would be the work of transforming the company, right? And then that's yeah, that's where okay. that agile leadership team comes in. Do you think that it, it it seems to me, you know, with the stuff that Jeff is doing now, other people are focusing on it. Like there is a, a sort of new focus on organizations creating. When I interviewed Jeff the other day, he talked about the ecosystem, creating mm-hmm. an environment in which this can actually live, instead of just saying. Coach the teams, coach leadership; they'll figure it out. Right now, it's the space has to exist. Yeah, and well, and, and how we're seeing that space uh, evolve is that you've got, I think, as an industry, for the most part, uh, as an industry of agile coaches and right. agile consulting, um, we have been mostly focused for the last decade on team coaching. Yeah, right. That very much team level. Um, that's typically still even when. We get a new prospect to call a, a lead that you know comes in, and people are like, "We need to get our people trained." Right? right. They don't. They don't self-identify like we need our leadership trained. Right. Because um, they don't so, have to change anything. Right. It always starts there, and so we're we're really starting to change those conversations even from the first you know sales call to okay. say to start creating awareness that hey, this is bigger than a team problem. Um, and if if a client only wanted us to come in and do something at a team level, like that's not going to be that interesting for us anymore, right? Because okay. we we don't feel like we will be successful. successful. All right. Um, and so, you know, but but there is more and more awareness now on a, on a couple fronts that is really positive for where we're headed, which is um, companies are realizing that agile is more than a uh, software thing, right? right? A technology thing. So, you know, we had our, you know, we had clients last year that were only, you know, like the marketing organization. And okay. The, and, and we asked them like, what is happening in IT for Agile? And they said, we have no idea. We, we just want to do Agile <laughs> marketing. And I, I thought that was really cool. Um, we're seeing it in, you know, HR, we're seeing yeah. it in, you know, operations. Um, and so, for a while there, I wasn't sure. Like we all knew, and you know, the experts in our yeah. you know domain, we knew like all this stuff we're doing with agile applies everywhere, everywhere with knowledge workers anywhere you're teaming. Okay. However, what we weren't sure of, uh, you know, a couple of years ago was, you know, agile was only seen as a tech thing. Yeah. And that word meant tech. Now people are using organizational agility or business agility okay. as, as a word that is starting to be accepted in the market outside of the technology So they're slowly starting to get it. So there is, yeah, there is starting okay. to be this like, hey, a lot of these practices, so a lot of the work I've been doing is distilling down, um, getting away from any word scrum and any word agile and saying, what are really the core, you know, pieces of this, yeah. right? And it's like about visibility, about self, you know, self-organizing and, you know, empowered teams. It's about continuous improvement, okay. right? And when you start breaking down into those core elements and right. you say, okay, if you just say that stuff, would that apply? Any, any team in the organization yeah. needs to limit WIP and get better visibility of their work and have, you know, self-organizing teams that are closest to the problem, right? Okay. And start working on that. Cool. All right. Thank you. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about your other talk, mm-hmm. which is about how much user stories suck. Mm-hmm. Although you had a more polite title for right. it, I did. Right. Yeah. The the premise there is that um, you know user stories were invented twenty years ago. Right. Right. And if we think back to twenty years ago, 
Um, I mean, I, that's, I was writing software and like shipping CDs, right? Like yep. we, we wrote software and we did not ever see how it was used, right? We had no analytics. And so there's some significant changes that have happened in, even in the last 10 years, right? So um, with uh, cloud and SaaS, right? Mm -hmm. Now everybody's hosting their products and can see what's happening in the usage and monitor and have optics into like how everybody's clicking, heat maps of how people, where people are looking on the page. Like we have so much data that we can look at to see how a, a product's being used. Yeah. And you can change it on the fly instead of shipping a new CD. Right, right, which gets into like DevOps and, and continuous integration and test, you know, if we have test automation, now we can actually release things very quickly and small, you know, feature branching and doing all this stuff, have feature toggles, turn things on, only deploy things to 5% of our customer base at right. one time. Like we have all this orchestration. And then I think another, the third technology is the notion of an iPhone. Like everybody that has an iPhone, which is everybody, now, so all of our consumers are now trained to be able to absorb software at a rapid pace, right? They're, yeah. they're used to updates happening all the time. So now Even we when they don't know they're happening. Right. We, we retrained our market and therefore our executives that okay. we don't need to do three major releases a year. We, we, software is a continuous thing and, right. it, and it never, never kind of stops. Um, so those things have changed the dynamic that's allowed us to say, it's not about just delivery and execution. Like we have all heard the stat, like 64% of features are rarely or never used. Right. Um, so we're, we don't have an output problem. We have an outcome problem. And okay. what's happened in most of, our, um, most of our companies when we implement Agile and we implement Scrum is that we talk a lot about shortening feedback loops, but what they've only done is shorten the feedback loop with stakeholders. We yeah. actually, actually haven't been shortening the feedback loop with our customers. Okay. So what we tend to do is build a product and release it, but we don't have a good measure of was it successful or not. Sure. Right. And, and so um, in a user story is missing a really key component, right? So user stories are really good about what does the user want and um, or what do they need? What's the pain? What's the problem? Right. And, and why, right? But and how do you know when it's done? But yeah, but from a, and, and how do you know it's done from a user's perspective? What it's missing is what is the business objective of why we would build that user story? So if I say to you that, like when I'm teaching class, yeah. I always say that any executive should be able to look at that story and understand the business value that it provides. But it sounds like you're talking about something slightly I think, beyond that. I think, I think a user story tells us more the user value than it tells okay. us the business value. So let me, like okay. an example story a lot of us use, right? Like as a frequent flyer, I'd like to book a past trip so that I can save time booking trips I take, right? So, um, so we got from a user's perspective, we're trying to save the user time, right? right? So that they can, that, and, but what's the business objective? The business objective might be that we're trying to drive 20% more revenue from the frequent flyer market. Mm -hmm. Right? That's not necessarily clear. And how are we going to measure success that we're actually driving more revenue from frequent flyers? Yeah. Right? That, that we're getting more revenue or is it that we're just getting more retention or they're booking more flights with us within 90 days? Okay. Right? And so this is where I... Um, and those I, are, just one second, yeah. those are things that could not go in as acceptance criteria. Like you couldn't have the team test to see if you were booking more in 90 days. Right. Because it's, it's a higher level, you know, in and terms it's of... beyond like a, the delivery yeah, of the it, item. It is something that... Um, I've, I've seen some people try and capture it in an epic, okay. right? yeah. but it's not necessarily a standard thing for sure. the user story. So you could, right, in a user story, right, in an epic, right, hey, here, here's the top level objective of what we're trying to do to provide that visibility. Right. Um, and even in the session today, you know, somebody pointed out like, hey, this is something that the product owner may know, 
Yeah. But it's not always communicated to the, to the team. team. Yeah. And, and it's not, there's nowhere in Jira to put it. Right. Right. You know, there's not, so like the tools don't necessarily uh, facilitate it, push it. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not part of the template. Right. Like, so it's not something that's consistent. Okay. Um, and, and it's easy. Uh, and I think most teams miss it. Right. Yeah. Um, and do it. So, so I, I borrowed from a technique called uh, OKRs or objectives and key results. Um, that a lot of people are using in Silicon Valley to, to kind of, um, kind of for strategic objectives okay. uh, on like a quarterly basis. Um, and the idea is that you're writing an objective. So in this case, like the objective is we want to drive more business from frequent flyers. Okay. The key results being, you know, we want to increase revenue by this. The key results are the measurable things. Like Acceptance wanna, criteria, sort of. Sort of, but in in a in a very. Um, strategic way. very measurable way very okay. metric driven way okay right so like in, but it is success criteria in the same way as, as similar to acceptance so criteria. it could be revenue or like reduce the volume to the call center things mm -hmm. like that or yeah. handle yeah. The calls faster yeah or you know uh, 20 percent of our customers rebook flights within 90 days you know okay i mean it could be it could be very granular now okrs would say you're you're in setting an OKR. You want it to be kind of more of a strive for kind of like, hey, we we might hit seventy percent of these goals. It's not a we are only you know, like like a we're user only story. Successful if yeah, a user story would be we're only done when all of these things are true. Yeah. Where in this case we would be setting a here here's an objective when we're 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 making a lot of assumptions. So we're right. we're striving for these things, and we're going to iterate. Okay. Towards that. And at some point, we'll decide we're if we're good enough, enough okay. right? Or, or, you know what? We're not getting anywhere close, so we should give up, right? You okay. know, or we should persevere, right? Like that's, that gets into the whole lean startup kind of pivot or persevere, yeah. right. right? And that's what this kind of taking from objectives, then we dig into defining hypotheses. So, you know, I think this word requirement yeah. Um, is 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 like we think of a requirement as a fixed factual thing. Like it's something. It's a requirement. The system must like do we, this. We we have to do it. Yeah. And, and it's a known. It's a it's a fact. Right. Right. Like somebody wrote it down, and we all believe it. But the reality is, every requirement is just a guess. Right. It's just a hypothesis. Yes. That we think if we build this, it will have some outcome, or okay. it will have some impact. It will have some value. Right. And and so I want to challenge everybody to start writing the requirements in forms of hypothesis. So, you know, if we, um, you know, if we build this, our customers will behave in this way, right? So if okay. we, so the hypothesis in the frequent flyer story is if we save frequent flyers time, right. they will book more f flights with us. That's a question, right? That's not a known. So, okay. But a yeah. user story writes it in the form of a known, right? We think if we build it, then we're done. But the reality is we need to build it and now we need to measure that did it have the impact that we set out to and did it move the needle towards the objective yeah. that we wanted to achieve, right? And that whole dynamic is kind of missing within so you this write user it this story way concept. instead of doing the user right. story. Okay, yeah. so I want to play the skeptic for a second because yeah. yeah. I have one concern about it. One yeah. of the things that I think is great about user stories, especially coming from a PM background, is it forces the mindset to the other side of the screen. Yeah. And I'm always talking about how you want your team members to have empathy for the customer, put mm -hmm. themselves in their mm -hmm. shoes. And if we say the customer wants to do X, maybe the developer can get there. Yeah. But if you're saying the business wants to do X or wants yeah. to see this change, that's going to put the developer in the mindset of 
the strategic requirement instead of we've now left that poor person yeah. on the other side of the screen right. alone. Yeah. So 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 I'll I'll interject user stories back in. Okay. In a second. Yeah. So so after we have the hypothesis, then we need to prioritize based on I I, I want to prioritize based on assumptions, right? So, okay. So risky risk of an assumption. Sure. And then and so what's the risk of us being wrong? What's the risk of uh, or how likely are we wrong, right? If we look okay. at that in two like X and Y axis, and okay. we say if something is high risk that we might be wrong, and the impact of us being wrong is big, right. we should probably test that hypothesis, right, or test okay. that assumption as, as, as first, right? So it's like a prioritization technique. Mm -hmm. And are we mm -hmm. keeping a separate assumption or risk backlog for this? Yeah, so we could, yeah, we okay. could be, yeah, tracking a set of a set of assumptions. Sometimes you can write your assumptions in the form of hypothesis. So there's a little bit of okay. a, a blur there. Yeah. But from there, so we have objectives. We write some uh, hypothesis and assumptions of things that we can do. We prioritized, and then what we're trying to find is what's the smallest experiment we can run to start proving that hypothesis or that assumption. And that's true going or false. back to the lean startup right. stuff again. Right. Yeah. Okay. And now here we're writing an experiment. At that point, we're going to go build something. So yeah. in that case, we could write a user story. Okay. So you're not right. saying eliminate them. Right. You're right. just saying create yeah. a backlog of assumptions right. and let's start to test yeah. them. So then okay. so then the experiment in the thing that now we're going to build, we're going to write from a user's perspective, right? Okay. Now an experiment could be uh, something that doesn't have any software at all, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you know, there's like the uh, like the concierge MVP could yeah. be a experiment that we could run. Can you explain um, what that is for the yeah. folks that so, don't know? So, I so, just I just had to learn this like two weeks ago. Yeah. So so um, so think about like uh, there's a company called Food on the Table that's in Eric Reese's book, and um, think about before Instacart existed. And the idea was they weren't there was a similar product, and they weren't sure how people. Would they buy their service? Would they to buy to buy their groceries for them? How shopping worked? How they would build an interface for them to put in the groceries that they right. want? So, um, so they could have made a bunch of guesses, built a bunch of software, and and maybe it would have worked, totally and maybe wrong, it wouldn't. Right. Have. It would have been risky. So, what they said, a concierge MVP is saying, uh, people signed up for the service, and they actually went to their house in person and actually just interviewed them and provided the service. Right. As a, as a person, until they learn enough about the problem to then start building some software to support it. Okay. Right. Where then, like a Wizard of Oz would be, where you know there's a man behind the curtain. So like right. they're interfacing with a UI, and you think it's automating behind. So it'd be like somebody <laughs> using a calculator app and putting like two plus four. Right. But then giving like it to actually, an intern. Yeah. Somebody somebody <laughs> behind the scenes is actually doing the math and then putting the answer back in. Right. Yeah. And it appears that there's software, but there really isn't software, right? Like, so there's a bunch of different tests we can do. So um, I want to mention one thing about both yeah. of these is that the people that did the actual labor, if I'm not mistaken, they were actually interns. Like, you don't have to go hire 50 people right. to go do this. You can yeah. get yeah, you could. I mean, really cheap however stuff. you can source it. Um, the uh, the, the the thing at that stage is it's probably not lucrative. It's pro right. you're potentially losing money at that stage. But what you know, I think here's a here's the thing: learning is more important than efficiency these days, right? right? And that's that's I think something that a lot of people are still managing efficiency and utilization and all these things. Be, but they're managing in the sense of manufacturing. They're thinking they're they're you know we're just building things and our bottleneck is that we're we just need to build more things but the okay. bottle that's not the problem anymore back to the outcome to build versus faster, output build more things faster <laughs> well, that's no, the it, problem it's 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 learning about what are the right <laughs> things 
to build, right? Yes. And and build and and if sixty four percent of the things we build are the wrong things, well, the way to double productivity would be to stop working on those. So how can we build something ah, small? That's good. The way and, you said that. and validate that they're the wrong or actually invalid. I had a smart CEO once tell me. He said, "Our job is to try and invalidate our ideas as fast as possible." Yeah. Right. Figure out what we're dumb about as fast as possible. And do that with small little experiments, okay. as opposed to us building a big bets. Stuff, right. right? Let's take small bets. Right? How can we take small bets? And you reduce and, risk for the company and everything right. else. Okay. Right. And, and then that's going to allow us to iterate to find the things that are going to be the most value, and then focus all of our energies on that. Okay. And so, with the, what I think about is there's two loops in. We've been thinking about in terms of development or you know producing product. You know we think about things in execution, right? Yeah. So execution. All right, we've been cranking stuff out. Well, let's add another loop, which is discovery. And now mm. we have this balance of there are things that have lots of unknowns, and we need to be doing more discovery and learning than we need to do building. And then there are points when there's things that are very you know more known, and we should just be executing on right. Like if we have a set of bugs. Go fix those. Don't right. write a hypothesis and figure out your assumptions, right? Like, right. go just execute on those. Um, if you're doing small, minor enhancements that are client-driven requests of right. things, like just do that. You, you could probably just do those. But if you've got a new product idea or a new major module or even a client that thinks they know what they want, right? right then that's probably something that you should go through more discovery cycles and, and accelerate learning okay. over just execution. So are you burning down unknowns? I mean, do you have any way of tracking that? So the the main way of um, tracking that would be a, around things like how are we moving towards the objective and the key results? Mm-hmm. Um, and are we uh, getting rid of the riskiest assumptions, right? Okay. Are we validating or invalidating those riskiest assumptions, right? Okay. So are, are we getting clear around uh, the problem that we have? But in this case, you're less about you know this the the challenge starts to become on execution it's a lot easier for me to just build a backlog story yeah, point it make the stuff. and and manage towards this plan yes on this side on the discovery side what's really happening is we're iterating towards the value right we're iterating towards the success well, metrics iterating towards understanding what the problem actually is yeah right, right. and and trying to achieve that result so okay. um, one of the best companies i know that's doing some of this stuff is indeed in in austin is based in austin um, and and so they start off everything with like hey here's something that we're going to go try and achieve right right and and they don't know you know they're not they're admitting to themselves, we don't know all the answers and we don't know everything, you know, and, and we kind of give ourselves an illusion of certainty a lot of times yeah. by building a backlog. And then we have, you know, we used to do it with a Gantt chart and now we're doing it with a backlog so and, same drugs. And, and there's still a little bit of the same kind of thing. It's better because okay. we're still have more flexibility to manage the backlog and change the backlog. But, you know, it's this to me is a little bit of kind of the next level that we're, we're going to start getting to. Okay. Um, if people want to learn more about these things, what's mm-hmm. the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we've got a lot of stuff on here at, at agilevelocity.com, um, and they can reach me at, at david at agilevelocity.com. Cool. And um, and if if there's there's some articles on our on our uh, blog around these specific concepts and um, a couple recordings and some videos around some of these concepts okay. uh, that we have on our YouTube channel. And then a lot of the presentations or the presentations today will be on uh, our SlideShare 
Okay, uh, cool. That was the thing I was going to ask you about. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, social media? I am at Austin Agile okay. on Twitter. That's a perfect segue. So what's coming up in Austin that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, there's going to be a conference <laughs> called Keep Austin Agile okay. um, on May 24th. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be there. Agile Velocity will be there. We'll have a number of sessions. It's going to be 700, 800 people. Wow. How many um, days? It's just one day. Okay. Just one day, yeah. That's a lot of people in one day. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, thanks a lot for doing this. Really yeah. appreciate it. No problem. Thank <laughs> you.